Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Rough Draft. I'm your host, Reza Aslan. Our guest on the pod today is Vic Mensa. He's an actor, he's a rapper, he's a musician, he's an activist, and he's basically the closest thing we have in the modern world to a flighter. I don't know if you know what a flighter is, but one of my favorite historical fun facts is the fact that poets in the ancient world weren't, you know, people that we think of today, you know, people who just kind of sit around in a dark room writing beautiful verses and publishing them. Poets were essentially like the hip-hop artists of the ancient world. And in particular, there was this character called the Flighter. This is something that goes all the way back to like the 5th century, basically. But flighting was a kind of ritualized exchange of poetic insults. So in other words, the poet was the guy who, on behalf of a king or a tribal elder or maybe just like a rich nobleman who paid him money, would go to, you know, the the guy's enemy and would just basically insult him in poetic verse. Like the ancient equivalent of your mama jokes, essentially. And what you would have is this kind of battle between poets, right? Each of them taunting each other back and forth with like extreme lyrical precision. And oftentimes there would be a contest, right? And whoever had the fastest tongue or the sharpest wit, the best comeback, uh, the best yo mama joke would basically win the award. The award was usually booze, of course. Like what else would it be? The reason I bring this up is that poets in the ancient world had this elevated role in society. They were essentially the only people who could speak truth to power. I mean, think about it. If you're living in a society full of kings and despots and emperors, the only one who could actually speak truth to those figures is the poet. Why? Because he could wrap his truth in verse and in metaphor. He could say critical things about the kingdom or the king, and the king would not even really get that he was being made fun of because the whole thing was wrapped in verse. We still live in a world of kings and despots. I mean, we may call them different things. We call them, you know, captains of industry, Jeff Bezos, or presidents. But the point is that we still have flighters. Our artists, our musicians, our writers have as their fundamental job, the ability to speak truth to power, to say in words what all of us are feeling but are perhaps too powerless to actually express. And that's why I am such a Vic Mensa fan. Because as a musician, as a hip-hop artist, as a rapper, he has made it his fundamental goal to essentially shock people into giving a shit, right? To force people into empathy. His songs, his music are all about dealing with the social issues of the day. 
one of his latest singles, Camp America. Uh, the video has white kids inside of a cage being guarded by brown guards. I mean, you know, pretty obvious what he's trying to say there. He tackles things like LGBTQ issues among African-American communities. Um, he tackles issues like freedom and slavery, uh, the economic disparity that uh, has gripped so much of the world. What he understands his role to be as a musician, as a rapper, is to use words to challenge people's perceptions of the world. Basically, what a flighter used to do to speak truth to power. He does it not only with lyrical precision, but with unapologetic boldness. And he basically challenges all writers, regardless of what kind of writer you are, to use your words to challenge the status quo. And maybe that's what writing is all about anyway. That's why I became a writer. And maybe some of you out there feel the same need to use your words to speak truth to power. And I don't know anybody who does that better than Vic Mensa. We also have a special bonus guest on the pod today, Johan Lennox. He's actually a collaborator of Vic's on his new album, 93 Punks. But Johan is an interesting character because he is a classically trained musician who is also a huge hip-hop fan, and he's been melding those two worlds together, most famously with his show Yeethoven, which is basically a cross between Kanye's music and the music of Beethoven. And we get a very special treat at the end of this show, which is that Johan and Vic will actually perform a freestyle composition for us. So stick around for that. Without further ado, here is my guest, Vic Mensa. Hey Vic, first of all, big congratulations on the new album, 93 Punks. I have it right here. Ta-da! Um, I mean, I, I don't think I would say this is like a, a departure for you because there's so much uh, different kinds of styles of music that have always been part of your repertoire. But I mean, this is a pretty like clear rock rap hybrid, right? A lot of punk music. I hear a lot of the clash in it. Um, how did this, the music for this album come about? You know, for a long time, I've been making guitar-driven music and um, had so many songs that didn't fit into hip-hop albums I was doing that I had, you know, sat on and just had in my email. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And people would always ask me, would you do a rock album? Um, people that know me, that know that that's the music that I first fell in love with when I was a kid. Right. That's what I listened to before I ever listened to hip-hop like mainly through skateboarding. Yeah, yeah. Um, I heard like your mom got you into like Dylan and the Beatles. And like Jimi Hendrix. Jimi Hendrix, was, I had an afro yeah. And I was a short. You so. loved Guns N' Roses. I love right? Guns N' Roses. Still Appetite do. Appetite for Destruction. Yeah, what's, yeah, your favorite, yeah. what's your favorite song on that Sweet album? Sweet Child of Mine, man. That's, that's my <laughs> song. That's my favorite song of all time, Sweet Child of Mine. And uh, I Ain't Mad At You by Tupac. But, um, you know, w w what I was getting at is that this is the music that I first fell in love with when I made my own decision to listen to music. It was the things that inspired this, you know, from The Clash to Green Day, you know what I mean, to Rage Against the Machine. Like, those are the things that I gravitated towards. And in the process of just collaborating with 
the rest of the band, which is Drew Falconry on the guitar, Johan Lennox, who plays keyboards and sings and writes. I mean, we all write it, you know? Um, yeah, it's and, a real collaborative process. And my boy Dave Koresh. So we just kind of started making this music that was far more rock influenced than other things I've done and at times more rock influenced than rap. And to us, you know, as people that make music, it's not like a conscious decision often to make a certain style of music, at least for me. You don't go into it thinking, I'm going to do something that, that brings in punk or... I mean, sometimes you do, but it's like, in general, how we ended up there wasn't like we sat down and we were like, yeah, let's make a rock album. You know, it was just that we started creating and that's kind of what came out. And I was like, you know what? This is so different from other things that I've done Then maybe we should make it, this into its own thing, you know, give it its yeah. own entity, give it its own name, because they were all collaborating with me on other things I was doing already. You know what I mean? Like, Johan and I connected because he's a composer, classical, and he composed all the strings for my album, The Autobiography, and subsequent projects since then. And, you know, then we started collaborating more on, like, a songwriting level as well. And uh, Drew, I met because uh, he played guitar with me when I went out on the 444 tour with Hove. And then Dave Koresh, the other guy, in the fourth member of the band, he, um, one of my earliest inspirations in Chicago on some rap shit. Like, he was the guy I looked up to when mm -hmm. I first started rapping. Um, and, you know, we all got in a room together and just started making this music that became the 93 Punks album. One thing I've noticed, uh about a lot of musicians, but especially I think for a lot of uh, rap and hip hop artists is that, you know, they're sometimes put into boxes, right? That it's like, this is your sound. This is the kind right, of music that right, you're supposed right. to play. This is what we want, album after album. It worked once, do it again. But right. I don't see that in your music at all. Like, I mean, every album sounds different. Almost every song sounds different. I mean, do you consciously try to break through that kind of, um, you know, the expectations that maybe people put on you and what they want to hear from you? I just feel like as creative people, we should be able to manifest that in whatever way answers the question. You know, I go into music and I ask a lot of questions. And I also treat it as a therapeutic, cathartic mm -hmm. release. So if the way that I'm, you know, serving myself and serving other people is through a guitar ballad or it's through a freestyle rap song or, you know, it's like a ska punk jam. It's like, I don't really go into it with those limitations and boundaries, you know, in the same way that I write rap. That's, that's what I do, you know, but I'm writing a screenplay. I'm writing a book, you know what I'm saying? I don't feel like because I'm a rapper, I shouldn't be able to write other things. I write op-eds for Time Magazine and shit, you know what I mean? It's like, I write, so I don't see that as being limited to one medium. And I make music, I don't see that as being limited to one genre. You were saying that you sometimes go into music or into albums asking a question. Was there a question that you were going into? I meant more so that I ask questions in my writing, like oftentimes, um, you know, like, when I die, how will they remember me? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. those, those are things that I often put into music because I'm, I'm asking myself and I'm answering questions. For me, I, I figure things out in music, like I process shit. Um, there was a song that I wrote for 
the autobiography that was um, about my big brother Cam, who was killed on the south side of Chicago. And in that song, I take these perspectives. So there's three verses. The first verse is me writing a letter to Cam in heaven. Second verse is him writing a letter to me from heaven. And the third verse is his killer telling me how it all went down and giving me the play by play. And in that space, I was able to um, kind of like predict a bunch of information that I had never been given, like right. channel some some real truth, but also I was able to uh, humanize his killer, you know, give an empathetic perspective to this person that, you know, took someone that I love off the planet. And through doing that, through imagining like maybe the man that killed my friend was was desperate, maybe he was fearful, maybe he feels remorse every night, you know? And through doing that, I was able to like release myself, you know what I mean? Yeah. I was able to release my anger and everything that I was holding on to, you know, going around hating somebody I don't even know. Um, and so in there, I was like, I was asking myself questions, you know? What what were the circumstances? Like how, how did, how did we end up at point Z, you know what I mean? From, from point A, from the phone call, from the setup. But um, yeah, you know, sometimes writing songs, you could just channel shit that if I was just sitting having a conversation, I may not even be able to tap into. You can explain things through music that you may not be able to explain just with your words. Yeah. It's a mystical experience. I hear this all the time. It's just, it's part of the creative process, right? Like you open up when doors. When it's good. You when, it, I mean? when it's working. Because yeah, you got to keep exactly. trying, you know, and it's definitely not always mystical. Is that, is that when you know it's working? Is it when you... For I've sure. always thought, like, you know it's working when you feel like you're not uh, controlling it anymore. Yeah, when, it, I mean? when, it, like, when it comes, because it doesn't yeah. always come easy at all. You know what I mean? But, um, you know, when, when, when you stri strike the right chord um, and the, the song writes itself, then you know you really you got right, something yeah. on your hands, you know what I mean? Or if you get emotional, like a lot of the best songs I write um, make me cry, you know what I mean, while I'm writing them. And then I'm like, okay, I just touched something. You know, Scarface from the Ghetto Boys, he, he said something that I read recently where, where he was like, if you're not crying when you, when you finish writing it, then you didn't write the right song, you know what I mean? Like the best ones give you like a whole different feeling. I mean, that's what writing's supposed to do, right? Word. It's supposed to give words to emotions that you can't uh, describe yourself, right? Those feelings that you don't have words for, somebody else gives you the words for it. That's when the magic actually happens. Not that music gotta be sad all the time. No, you know but, I mean? I, but, but it's all about like, well, a lot grabbing of it's that like, emotion. It's yeah. real emotions, you yeah, know? And, yeah. and I mean, real happy events can make you cry, you know what I mean? It's just a strong emotion, it's something that's involuntary. Like, most people cannot cry on command. I, w I could do it when I was in middle school, and it would get me out of, <laughs> out of, trouble? Out yeah. of class and shit. Yeah. Not out of trouble, I mean, it was locking my ass up. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, out of class, yeah, for sure. There are two songs uh, on 93 Punks that um, has gotten a lot of buzz, and I want to talk about them later, specifically Three Years Sober and Camp America. I want to really you know, dig into those two songs. But I wonder if like when you listen to the album, 
Is there an overall theme to it that that you hear now? Maybe one that you didn't even intend to uh, have when you were recording it. I don't think there's one theme, but I think that there's one spirit, you know, and that's counterculture, that's anti-establishment, that's truth-telling. Um, it, it's critical worldview, you yeah. know what I'm saying? And that's where I find that punk occupies the same spirit as hip-hop. It's coming from the same place, you know what I mean? It's kids in urban fucking communities um, that are unhappy with the system that is oppressing them, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's the same spirit, it's, it's, it's rebellion. I, and that, that's what I think is the overall theme of 93 Punks, even from something sounding like more polished and poppy, you know, for the most part, the the spirit of rebellion is what really drives it forward, though. Yeah, the idea of questioning authority, which for sure. someone told me is something that you learned from your dad, right? Mom. I mean, your mom. So yeah, you go, so just to be trying to question. No so you grew up in Southside Chicago, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? Uh, biracial. Your dad was a professor from Ghana. Mm. Uh, what, what what did he teach? He teaches economics. Economics. And then uh, your white mother who taught you all about music. Uh, but wh where, did the, where did the sort of questioning of authority and the kind of political awakening that was so much a part of your childhood, that, that came from your mom? Yeah, my mom's a hothead, you know <laughs> what I'm saying? She, she was like a hippie type. She went to Woodstock. You know, it's funny, I was just talking to, um, to my homie John from Portugal, the man. And he was telling me, because they did an album called Woodstock. Mm -hmm. And I just read yesterday while I listened to the album that it was inspired by his dad going to Woodstock. So I hit him up and I'm like, damn, your dad went to Woodstock, my mom went to Woodstock, you know? <laughs> um, and, and I think that that whole movement, it's like you know something about somebody when they went to Woodstock. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like not likely that somebody would have taken part in a, a globally impactful, life-changing event like that. and be okay with imperialism. Yeah, you know yeah, you I'm can't saying? walk away the same after that. So it's like, you know what type of person that is. And that, that's the person that my mom is. And uh, both my mom and my dad are just very educated. My dad's a PhD and yada, yada, yada. You know what I mean? So, and he's African, so there's a worldview that already exists. And uh, yeah, they're political, you know? So they, they always kind of broke things down to me and and showed me more than your traditional american education i did really like bill clinton though when i was a kid i didn't know what he was up he was to. our first black president apparently that's what they told us and that's what i thought he could play the you saxophone you know why they say that is because no one thought we'd ever no. actually have a black president well so you know like, why that's they said that was because he played the saxophone <laughs> oh, right. so if you ever want to trick me <laughs> Play the saxophone. <laughs> <laughs> so they were really politically active, but they taught you to like be aware of politics, be aware of establishment. I just, you know, just always questioned authority. Yeah. Um, and I do think I got that from my mom because that's how she is, you know. Um, not, you know, probably to the level that I am, but she the type that like will get arrested swimming because she swims too far past the buoy and she, you know what I mean? So she's breaking <laughs> right. rules, but like just right, right. in her own way, you know what I mean? Um, I definitely think I've taken it a step farther. That's what I was going to ask you was, 
how did that manifest in you when you were a kid? That sort of, you know, disrespecting authority that, that your mom taught you. So, I imagine it wasn't just like swimming so past far. the buoy, you know what I'm saying? You know, for me, I was always strong-willed and uh, just an individual. Mm -hmm. And I always had problems with teachers and authority figures. And uh, as I got older, I started to realize how I was being treated often differently uh, for my race, you know, but it was weird to me and I didn't, it wasn't something I was cognitively aware of at first because I was in this in-between space and my mom was white from upstate New York and my father's from Africa and I'm this little mixed race, like curly haired, just like messy kid running around acting bad. You know, um, but I, I felt like a, a mixed race kid, like biracial. And I got a little older and, uh, you know, I'm like 11, 12, and I see the way the police are, you know, responding to me. And they're like, yeah, take your hands out your hoodie before I punch you in the fucking face. And what are you doing on the north side? Shouldn't you be on the south side? And, um, and that's when I really started running with it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I was bad before, but at that point in time, when I became really aware of the spotlight on me as a black boy, because that's, right. the, that's the experience of black boys, is uh, well, childhood is cut short, you know, in the eyes of white America, you know? You got like uh, Mike Brown, you know what I mean, who is a kid, but would get shot down by the police and they'll, and they'll describe him as this big, Thug. like, yeah, this big exactly. monster, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like this scary being. Um, and that, that's the criminalization of black boys. That's the whole cycle of the shit. And, you know, I think once I really got hip to it is when uh, I really stopped giving a fuck. Like, I already was rebellious, but at that point in time, it manifested in, you know, taking things to the next yeah. level. Because before that, I, I read somewhere that you said something along the lines that you grew up feeling almost raceless, right? Like, you you weren't... You know, you had a white mom, you had a black dad. Race wasn't something that you were yeah, really cognizant of until you know? then, you know? Yeah, I, I don't think I really associated myself as being black when I was a little kid. You know, until just, until someone told you you were black. Until someone until treated you I was just like, like yeah. okay, I'm definitely right. getting treated in a, like a nigga, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, this works, you know? I can't dance, but <laughs> everything else is cool. <laughs> I could damn near rap. Well, and yeah. that's actually just around the same time that you started getting right. into yeah, rap, I didn't right? Get rap yeah, rap before. That's what I'm saying. I was on some, I was on some skateboarding, rock and roll shit. <laughs> right. You know what I'm saying? I didn't understand rap. I was like, why are they so mad? You know what I mean? I would like just watch Fifty Cent and see him like, you know what I mean? And I'm like, what are you so mad about? You know? Until I started to experience the shit that niggas is mad about. And I'm like, oh yeah, fuck the police. Mm -hmm. I get it now. Mm -hmm. I know why y'all upset. I agree. Were there were there um, songs or acts that like helped you actually make sense of what was going on? Like to put a context to it? Like Yeah, hell yeah. I mean the first rap that I was ever into, really of my own accord, was um KRS One. And I, I got into KRS One through a Zoo York mixtape, which was was a skate video out of New York and I think it was a Harold Hunter part. 
you know what I mean? Legends never die. Rest in peace, Harold Hunter. Um, and that was the first rap I ever got into. So KRS-One is the one talking about, that's the sound of the police. Woo, woo, that's the sound of the... And KRS-One got this line in there where he's talking about overseer, 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 officer. Officer from Overseer, need a little clarity, check the similarity, you know? So <laughs> that made a lot of sense to me, right. you know? And I'm seeing the way that, that they're treating us. We, we had an incident today um, in Chicago with uh, my foundation. We're opening an office on the south side near where I grew up now on 47th Street. The last one, we had another fucking incident because what's, I mean, that, that's, that's the reality, you know? The last one, we had a problem because our landlord was upset about the Camp America video and also happened to be like racist against Latinx people and said, mm -hmm. if you, you know, if you speak Spanish, go back to Mexico. That was his deal. <laughs> so that, that didn't work out, you know what I mean? Needless to say. So we went to a new spot on 47th Street and, uh, you know, we got one of the guys that was recently homeless that we kind of, my, my foundation director, Londi, brought in to a shelter we were working with during the polar vortex. That's like yeah. an extreme name for like the severe winter that just happened in Chicago. Um, she got him in off the streets. He's been in the program for a minute now where he's like graduating the program so he has a place to stay and he's like, you know, really moving forward. Um, but he's somebody that's lived a hard life. You know what I'm saying? And you can tell when you meet him. So she had him run into the stove to go get something for the rehab they're doing at a spot, police run up on him immediately, you know, and say he fits the description of somebody selling drugs and bash his face into the wall. And, uh, you know, th th this is a, a mild-mannered, like a kind soul, you know what I'm saying? But that's, that's the racist world that we live in. And that's the type of shit that music helped me make sense of. Right. From KRS-One to Rage Against the Machine, they're saying the same shit. I mean, Zach De La Roca and KRS are saying the same things to the T with a different beat. You know what I'm saying? Those things definitely help me make sense of the world around me. Yeah. So at what point did you start taking it seriously? I mean, it's one thing to just kind of like get into it and listen to it, start making sense of the world because of it. But at what point did you decide, shit, this is what I want to do? Yeah, man, probably when I was like 14 or 15, um, I had been like writing for a little while, recorded a couple raps, and I was writing a rap over uh, some Ghostface shit. <laughs> and it was a song called Run. It's a dope song. And I was writing, I was writing this rhyme and I just was like, this is, this is fresh, you know what I mean? I should, I'm gonna do this. It's gonna wait, wait, wait tell me about this. So you're, you're listening to Ghostface. Well, I'm writing, I'm writing over the Ghostface beat. Oh, and right. I was just like, I'm nice. This is nice. Okay. You know what I mean? I, this is gonna work. This is gonna work out for me. Yeah. So I just, I just did it. You know, I, I hadn't really been writing for very long at that point in time, but my first raps were mad good. You know what I mean? I got some of my best shit. Real talk, some of my best shit I ever did. Still, it's like shit that I wrote when I was mad young. Like I got shit that I wrote when I was 16. It's super fucking dope. Um, and I was always, I, I was always politically conscious, I was always social commentary. So people come to me and they're like, when did you make this transition into like making political music? Right. And it, that's not really the case because from the moment I started writing, I was writing about the man pushing the shopping cart on 47th Street and like the whirlwind 
that he was living in and comparing that to even my two-parent household, to down the street to Obama's house, to down the street to the projects on 46 where they're shooting all the time and you can't stand in the lobby because you might get hit. You know what I'm saying? Like, those are the worlds that I was juxtaposing from the jump. But more recently, I feel like probably in 2016 with um, the things that happened, you know what I mean, And and the way it was all on camera and in your face, is probably when I started making things more overtly political, but that's always what I was talking about. It was always like a pillar, uh, a cornerstone of my experience uh, as far as my writing yeah. goes. First of all, I love the way you just explained that about how 2016, what changed is that it was all on camera. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. And this is so, this is like to me that the fundamental difference between people of color in this country and white people is that white people think that something profound happened in 2016 that changed America forever. And people of color say, no, it just became obvious to everybody else. Like what what we all knew. Yeah, it's just like now you can't pretend it's not there anymore. And it's funny because like you were saying, you were saying about how your music's always been political and it's so true. I mean, I think a lot of people are talking about this album is, as being overtly political, but when I listen to it, to me, the difference is that uh, in the past, like the, the stuff that you would write about was, um, I wanna say like more personal. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, now it's like you've, you've made that personal political, right? The, the well, sort the personal of, yeah. is always political. You know, that, that's something that, Angela Davis says is that the personal is always political because right. people are living real lives. You know what I'm saying? It's like no one is no one is an island, nobody is isolated from the community around them. Whether they see themselves that way, at the end of the day, it's like we're all a part of some type of community, whether it be the black community, you know what I mean, if it be the Muslim community, if it be Americans, you know what I mean, if it be Western society. Um, so so to speak your truth vulnerably and honestly is inevitably going to be political because you have to weigh in on how the world around you has shaped that truth and how that affects everyone else. You know what I'm saying? So it's like for me, I, I toggle back and forth between making deeply political, I mean, deeply personal music and overtly political music or mixing the two, uh, because I know that they're not separate. You know what I mean? Let's talk about your craft for a little bit. Um, we were talking offline uh, a little bit about how right now you're in, in between projects and you're getting back into writing. And, and I love what you were saying about how like, you know, writing is, it, it's like life, like that's where it's at. You know, I mean, obviously you're a performer, you, you're a fashion designer, you're an activist, you do so many different things, but writing is like where your sustenance is, right? So. Writing is the one thing that really makes me feel fulfilled, makes me feel like alive, you know? And uh, it's what I, what I dream about, you know what I mean? What I wake up wanting yeah. to do, what when I'm in states of anxiety, what I avoid doing, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah I know, man. it's really the most important thing in my yeah. life is, is, is writing, for sure. Um, and specifically writing music, you know what I'm saying? But in general, to write is what gives me life. The shit that really makes you like go to sleep feeling satisfied is 
having written something that you're excited about. You know what I mean? Like the feeling, how you feel the next day when you wrote something that you just yeah. want to keep listening to and playing back and being like, yo, right, right. check this out, check this out. I did this yesterday, yeah. yeah. Did the other one the day before that, you know? That's the best feeling to me when you're, when you're writing shit that you love. You said that the, the writing process for this album was a little bit different, right, yeah. than your normal writing process. Can you talk about that? I mean, I, like a lot of the, the, your previous songs, um, you know, the writing of it is, it's, um, it's organic, right? I mean, you're, you're, you're freestyling, you're, you're experimenting, you're, you're putting things down, seeing if it works or not. But this was a, a kind of more of a standard process, right? Yeah, I mean, it was different for me, definitely not standard for me. When I rap, I don't write things down in general. I haven't been writing songs down for a long time, and I just do it in my head. It's not necessarily a freestyle, but it's like, it's literally like writing in my head. I'll just pace back and forth, think it of it. It stays there? Yeah, think of it in my head. I can't remember anybody in my family's birthday, not even my mom. But I remember thousands upon thousands of rap songs, you know what I mean? And mm -hmm. lyrics and yeah. verses. Um, sorry, mom. I, <laughs> I've been trying for so long. Nobody. Um, this album was different because it was starting with words on a page, mm -hmm. like starting with concepts with no music. Um, I would, for most of these songs, just write, write lyrics down in these notebooks that I was keeping. And then I would bring them to the band and <clears throat> oftentimes Drew would do like a guitar riff or, or something like that, give us a bass like that. Johan would come up with a melody for the words, you know what I'm saying? And we would kind of build it like that. So it was starting with words and then I'd bring it to the guys and we'd then figure out chords and melodies and arrangements, you know what I'm mm -hmm, saying? Mm -hmm. So I was starting with concepts. I was thinking about concepts a lot. And I, I, I tend to make conceptual music, you know what I'm saying? But with this, I was like trying to even get more subversive, you know what I'm saying? And, and hone in on the concepts all the way from the song to the music video and have kind of all that in my head. I want to come back to something we were talking about just a few minutes ago about the personal being political, which I, I, I couldn't agree with more. And I, I, to me, like, so much of that phrase is what unlocks your music, right? Like, using those personal experiences to reveal these universal truths about the world that we live in and the the issues that we're dealing with. But at the same time, like, I wonder, are there um, parts of your life, of your personal experience that are off limits? Like, are there parts where you just feel like, you know what, I'm just gonna leave that corner of my life just in the dark. That's not something that's gonna, that's gonna come out. I, I have no intention of sharing that with the world. And then you know, will you share that with us, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I, I pretty much, you know, have written about all types of shit and said, way more than necessary at times. Um, and I guess more so at this point in time, I've been kind of thinking about what's necessary to say and what's not because up until now, I've often just, if it was true, then I felt that I was completely justified and right to say it, no matter how 
anyone else involved may feel about it. As long as I wasn't lying, I felt that I could, would, and should say it because it's true. You know what I'm saying? Even if it may hurt somebody. Even if it may hurt somebody. And, you know, I just kind of went through different things, like, with relationships in my life, just straining them from shit that I didn't even really need to say, but I was just being too honest, you know what I mean? And uh, telling the nitty gritty of shit. You know, there was a point in time, it was like I wrote a lyric about one of my homies, man, and I mentioned about, like, how a family member of his, like, was on drugs, you know, like smoking crack or something. It was like, you didn't have to say that, you know what I mean? And then he heard it and he was like, nigga, don't fucking say that. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. Actually, I don't know what the fuck is wrong with me. But, you know, I, I just was always trying to tell the fucking right. truth. It's his you truth, mean? though, not yours. And that's that's some real shit, you know what I mean? Because I've also strained relationships badly. Like, why right, snitch on myself? Right, Niggas, right. I was just snitching enough, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. Dude and them snitching like crazy, all the transcripts are online. You don't need to be snitching on yourself. So to answer that question, now I'm like, let me not snitch on myself for shit in music or, you know, cross lines with people that that, that I love and I, that I care about. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? But in the past, I felt like nothing at all was off limits. How do you keep track of that, though? Because it's a fine line, right? It's a fine line between revealing truth and protecting people, especially when you're talking about, you know, issues of culture or society. You, you said something once that I, I thought was so spot on. You said, I feel the duty of art is to disturb the comfortable and comfort the disturbed. I wish I made that up. No, you didn't make that up? No. You were quoting somebody else? That's a quote. I don't know who just I'm say, quoting. Just but say it, it was you. But it's the truth. It's the truth. It's so, like, I, I read that and I was like, that that is the sort of perfect distillation, right? Of what it means Word. to make art, not just for art's sake, but art that the purpose of which is to actually make a difference. What, what do you think your purpose is as an artist? Like, how would, how would you define your purpose? I believe my purpose as a musician is freedom, finding it for myself, from my past, from societal boundaries and expectations, dreaming about it, painting pictures of freedom, helping others towards freedom. I mean, everything from the most personal of songs that I've written to the most explicitly political of songs that I've written, the best ones, are all ones that help me get free and people resonate with them because they help them to get free. You know, I was talking to someone today that was telling me, as people often do, because of the nature of my subjects a lot of the time, that a few particular songs of mine helped them through some really suicidal times in their life. Um, I think it was a stepfather or a father had just passed and a song I wrote about me overcoming and pushing past darkness. It was a song called Rage, where I'm um, talking about raging into the night. It's based on that poem that says, I want you to rage into the night. Yeah, Dylan um, Thomas, yeah. The Dylan Thomas joint. And that whole song was about me 
pushing past, overcoming, triumphing from personal struggles, learning from them. And that was my way of keeping myself alive and being free from the dark, negative, you know, uh, proclivity that I, I had at that moment in time. And that helps somebody else get free from that in their own life. You know what I'm saying? I think that's that's the biggest purpose of of what I do, even outside of music, is to get free. Tell me what freedom means. Does it mean the ability to do what you want to do, or does it mean the ability to be who you want to be? I think it's both of those things. It's the right to grow, the right to be who you are, the right to be who you want to be. I, I think it's something that we don't often experience, you know what I'm saying? In, in, a, in a full holistic sense, yeah. you know what I mean? Because I'm not even free from my iPhone right now, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, but I'm trying to get free. <laughs> I've been leaving it in the corner in the morning, trying to not touch it for an hour. Be honest right now, where is it? It's right under my leg. That's what I thought. <laughs> it's right under your leg, just in case. It's right there. <laughs> nah, but for real, you know, I mean, freedom, man. That That's, what does anybody really want more than that? You know what I'm saying? You can say happiness, but what, is, what does that really mean, you know? that that That's like basically freedom from sadness. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Above all, that that's what... I write about what I dream about, what I want for myself, what I want for my people, for people, is freedom. So then just to connect this to your past and, and to your upbringing, then in a way is the authority or the establishment or the institution or the structure or however you want to put it, fundamentally what that is, is the thing that keeps you from being who you want to be, well, isn't it? Yeah. That's the chains, you know what I'm saying? And, and, and it can manifest itself in so many different ways. The chains can be literal chain gang, lock up, states fill, dicks and corrections, where they got my brother doing 15 right now. That, that's the literal chains. But then there's also the mental chains, be it ideas of masculinity, you know, be it patriarchy, be it racism, be it homophobia, uh, xenophobia, any phobia, you know, fear. <laughs> fear. It, fear is the change. It's the opposite you of know freedom. What I'm saying? And that's the shit that we try to get at with the 93 Punks music yeah. is dissecting and commenting on the fear and in that way seeking freedom. So whether it's Camp America and us talking about kids in literal cages and flipping that in the music video and depicting that in a way that really makes you think about it and feel something. Or it's the three years sober music video and me putting on lipstick and, and a dress and dissecting that fear because that's a very real fear. I did that and you know, I'm a wild nigga so I'm already just like, <laughs> I just do shit and I don't really, really think about the consequences, you know? but. From that, I had people that I've known for, how old am I now? Like 14, 15 years that like 
are some of the closest people to me that wanna wanted to fight me physically yeah. for doing that. You know what I'm saying? They're like, what the fuck is wrong with you? You know what I mean? And I'm like, that's what I'm trying to address is that whole idea, you know, that 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 is the problem, you know, that me putting on a dress and lipstick in a music video is what should yeah. bring you to outrage. You know what I mean? In the middle of everything happening out around us, that that's the thing that should make you that upset. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah. Just so everybody knows what we're talking about, in three years video, you, you're basically dressed in drag, you're wearing like a Confederate, Confederate flag out dress. dress. Yeah. Uh, at one point, you get into like a, a wrestling match with Mike Pence. <laughs> over birth control. Uh, over birth control. Yeah. Um, at another point, uh, you get jumped by, by some... Beat up. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was funny. It was like the two dudes I got beat up by in that, and then they write everything on my face. Mm -hmm. It's like everything I knew people would say about mm -hmm. me after the video. Which then they so, did. You know, they yeah. got me. <laughs> I was like, you know, fag, fraud, yeah. clout chaser, you know, all those things. Um, and it was a white dude and a black dude, which was because I wanted them to wear shirts that said real nigga. <laughs> one said real, one said nigga. And the white dude was supposed to wear the shirt that said nigga. <laughs> and he wasn't down. Yeah, he was like, you know what? Uh, he was smarter yeah. than that. I gotta draw the line somewhere. <laughs> he was like, afraid not. <laughs> You're not doing this to my future. Because just think about that. Yeah. He's trying to like, you know, make real shit happen in the future. They pull up a photo of him in a do-rag and a tall white tee that says yeah, nigga yeah. on it. Yeah. No more job. Yeah. That's one of those times where it was your truth versus his truth. Yeah, I completely respected that. Yeah. But, you know, I didn't think he'd have an issue with it. Like I said, I don't really be thinking about the consequences of But my it's so, ideas. I mean, I just love the way that you are creating this dichotomy between freedom and fear, which is, it's so true, right? Because, I mean, that video and the song, the song itself, there's so much going on in, in the song itself. I mean, it's very personal in a lot of ways. It's it's a little bit, at least in my reading, a little bit sarcastic. <laughs> I so. mean, um, it, it, but the video is just like an in-your-face laundry list of the things that a lot of your fans, you know, a lot of people who, who like look to you as this kind of hip-hop icon would be like, they don't want anything to do with, you know? It's like, it's like, again, it's like a perfect example we were talking about earlier where you were just kind of throwing your truth out there almost deliberately to, um, to make people uncomfortable, to disrupt them, you know, in a little way. And you, you've said this before. I, 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 sometimes you have to shock people into humanity. You have to force them into empathy. Word. Right? That, that, that I was saying really about the Camp America video because um, in, in that video we put little white kids in the cages and made all the guards Mexican. You know what I'm saying? Like, huh, People huh, did huh. not like that. <laughs> like, well, <laughs> how would you act if that was the case? Mm. You know what I'm saying? And uh, yeah, I mean, that had consequences for me for real. Like, I, I definitely lost our, our nonprofit office off of that because somebody couldn't oh. even really imagine or get past their... Uh, their beliefs in that. And he was like, yeah, Vic Mensa, he's a disgusting pig. If 
you work for him, how could you be doing anything good? This is racism against white people. I'm a white man and I don't appreciate people being racist against me. And he was just on autopilot because you know when somebody has like preconceived, convoluted ideas and delusions that have been passed down generations, you know what I'm saying? racism against white people like please you know what i'm mm -hmm. saying we roll our eyes at that but that's something that people really think you know what i'm saying that's that's something that's what's driving the white house right now is fear of losing white privilege you know what i'm saying and that equates in their mind to racism against white people putting white people on the same plane as people right. of color in their mind because it's taking them down from a superior status right. is racism against white people. Because yeah. for their race, you're bringing them down to the same plane as everyone else. Right. That's racism against white people in their mind. And um, it's, it's that type of thinking that I wanted to address. You know what I'm saying? That I wanted to force someone like that to either be, go on autopilot and not be able to process it or hopefully be able to dissect that and I hope for that man yeah. you know what I'm saying that at a point in time in his life he's able to address why he thinks it's okay for because he told he told us like what happens at the border is none of my business you know what I'm saying and I hope for that man that at a point in time he's able to question himself and and think like man why did I why why do I think that it's not it's none of my business for kids in real life brown kids in real life to be in cages, but it's the end of the world if a white kid is in a cage in a music video. You know what I mean? So I, I hope that for him. And that's why we do the shit that we do is to is to toe that line yeah. so that hopefully we can have somebody think outside the box. Well see this is actually the perfect example of what you were talking about because it he needed a shock to the system. Well, he ain't get shocked into <laughs> no humanity. He got shocked into some more racism. I mean, maybe. Oh, well, yeah, you're right. I mean, honestly, the truth he is you're, you're, you're absolutely right. Some more racism. But, but for the first time, because what he said before was, I never thought about that. It's not my business. Right, and what you exactly, did is exactly. that you forced him to think about it. In other words, you forced it to be his business. Now, his response was, you know, fuck you. It, it's racist against white people. But for the first time he thought about right. it, right? Which is the whole point. Hey there, everyone. It's Reza. I'm sorry for the interruption. I just wanted to pop in and say that if you're enjoying this episode, well, then you're in luck, my friends, because Rough Draft is also a TV show. And you can watch it all right now, along with Topic's other original series and exclusive programming from around the world. You can check it out for free on the Apple TV app, which is already on your favorite devices. With Apple TV, you can watch Topic at home or on the go with offline viewing. And you can even share your subscription with up to six family members with family sharing, which is what I do because I have a gigantic family. Go to apple.co slash topic to start your seven-day free trial now. That's apple.co slash topic. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. 
If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Um, at the beginning of this, of this uh, episode, I was talking about this kind of historic role uh, of a flighter, right? Uh, the, these were these uh, fifth, sixth century characters whose job was, they were poets, you know? They were, they were basically, you know, um, the rap artists of, the, of, their, of their age. And they were the only people who would be able to get away with speaking truth to power precisely because they would uh, rap that truth in rhyme and verse, you know, um, they would hide it in metaphors. They would, they would make it so entertaining that you didn't realize that they were talking about you. And when I listen to Camp America, which by the way, has been stuck in my head for a week now, so thank you for that. Like I can't sleep at night because it's fucking stuck in my brain. Uh, it's like on repeat in my house. Um, that's exactly what I think of. We'll be living it up not giving a fuck, splitting you up, then we put you in cuffs, then we ship you off, yeah, you could get lost at Camp America. Take your clothes off, baby, let me see what you got. We can have a good time if you're legal or not. It's an ignorant, arrogant, terrorist heritage. You can finally be an American. Right. Say, I wanna have the best summer ever yeah, at Camp America. You know, we were trying to get subversive with it. and. Um... It's so subversive. Yeah, it it's so get, subversive. And then the music video is what lets you really know what is going on. You Because know otherwise you're thinking, oh, it's a, it's a, it's a summer hit. Right. This People is a great song. Like, I'm going to like play it on the beach and dance around. And then you listen to the words and you're like, fuck, this is dark. You know what's crazy about that lyric that you just said and which shows you how like how weird of a time we're in is that so when I, I talk about um, we can have a good time if you're legal or not, you know, because that's what's really going on. There's you know? literal there's, rapes there's of children rape of taking children place. happening in yeah. these detention centers, yeah. which a big part of our movement is calling it what it is, a prison. You know what I'm saying? It's an immigrant prison and they're actually raping kids there. They're sexually assaulting kids. The whole nine. Um, They're starving and, children. And everything we said in the song yeah. is, is real shit. Everything we showed in the video, although it might make somebody upset, you know, to see a little kid drinking out of a toilet, that's an upsetting fucking image. You know what I'm saying? But it's also reality. That came from a family that was denied water for enough time that, like, the whole family went to go drink their water out the toilet. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's something that they came back and reported as being their reality. And that's the only reason we put that in the, in the video, in the song. Somebody recently took, took those fucking lyrics that I wrote right there, screenshotted them, and sent them to me and said, oh, so you want to talk about so-and-so for this and that and the third, but you okay with abuse, sexual abuse of children? I'm like, no, that's not what I was saying. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? But, you know, people are dumb. They don't, yeah. they, they don't comprehend when you... And we try to make it subversive in that way. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But, but be poignant and be truthful. You know what I'm saying? Um, and it's shit that 
I don't know why other people aren't talking about it in music. I mean, that's, I don't sit down. Because it gets to, them in trouble. Well, yeah, for sure. I mean, I don't sit down to do it. And, you know, we don't come up with this shit because nobody else is doing it. But I do wonder sometimes, I'm like, these are some of the biggest stories, you know, that, that exist in our general conversation past music or anything but nobody's talking about it in music right now like where where are the people talking about what's happening yeah. with immigrants at the border for me i see i see these things that i'm like this is what this is what we're supposed to make music about you know what i'm saying like these are the things that we want to draw attention to that um in in a in a dark way are inspirational, not that like I'm inspired to go do some shit like that, but I'm inspired to talk about it, you know, through art, and I'm I'm yeah. inspired to to have have an artistic take on it. But you know, I feel like music is in in so many ways in such a tame place because because of the internet and the fact that any wayward comment, you know what I'm saying, can direct the vitriol of millions against you in a moment. It could drop you from your label. So, so people yeah. are like, people definitely are walking on eggshells when it comes to talking about real shit that's happening around them. But that's not why I started making music. That's not why, that's not what Tupac was doing when he was making music. That's not what Rage Against the Machine was doing when they were making music. Like the people, or, or Common, or the people that inspired me musically, were not shying away from real subjects, from what was really going on around them. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Otherwise, what's the point? I mean, honestly, like I was, I keep thinking back to the story you told about that that guy, and I think, all right, so here's a dude. You know, he probably watches a lot of Fox News. Uh, he the crazy thing is, he's a firefighter too, in the biggest Mexican neighborhood in Chicago. He's a landlord, owns a lot of properties in Little Village and Pilsen, which are the two primary Mexican neighborhoods in Pilsen. Yeah. And in his office, he had a sticker on his wall that said, if you speak Spanish, go back to Mexico. <laughs> and here's a firefighter in the Mexican neighborhood. So I'm like, how are we supposed to expect you to be saving the lives of people that you don't respect, you know? But obviously I can't control what he does you can't control what he does but he's not gonna he lives in a bubble right i mean so many so many Somehow, americans live a, bubble in a bubble of mexico yeah. mexican bubble <laughs> he's managed to make a <laughs> make like a, a no mexican bubble around him <laughs> he's uh, literally <laughs> in a mexican bubble inside of pilsen you feel i went to pilsen the other day I went to this bar with my homie Baby Jig. I was the man in Pilsen. They was really, they, they was fuck with me off that. The same way that, you know, and that's what I find about doing music that um, really supports communities outside of my own and just like speaks for people. I'm not trying to be anybody's spokesman. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Because I don't want to misquote what they may have to say. But I do try to lend platform to uh, the ideas and the struggles of people that I am an ally to. And, uh, and I find that those people really fucking appreciate me, even if on the other side, 
there are people that detest it. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And the landlord, I might lose my my spot in Little Village, where I probably don't want to be anyway. If I got a racist landlord, because it's going to be a whole lot of black people, brown people coming in and out the doors. So it's better that we find out now. But that may be the case. But when I'm in the Mexican neighborhood trying to get some drinks, it's a lot of Patron flunking. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Or fucking, you know, when I do something that is like in support of the LGBTQ community, although there may be some people that want to be like, oh, you're fucking gay, you're a faggot, blah, 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 and say that shit to me. There are also people that come to me and tell me like, yo, you really made me feel like confident and feel okay for being me, for being who I am. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Just by, just by acknowledging, you know what I'm saying? And just by acknowledging the humanity of someone. And that means a lot more to me you know what I'm saying, at the end of the day, yeah. is uh, someone who I've emboldened like in, in a positive sense and like given a voice to, that means a lot more to me than someone whose fear has made them attack me. You know what I mean? Yeah, but again, like that's the whole point, right? That's the whole point of art. That's why it's powerful. That's why it's a weapon. Because number one, it helps people define themselves, as we've talked about. But number two, it helps those people who want to pretend that shit isn't happening. Do you know what I mean? Like the guy who says, that has nothing to do with me. Right. He's not, he's not gonna learn about it. He's not gonna read you know, the newspaper. He's not gonna watch the news. He's, he's not gonna actually find out about it himself, but he's a Vic Mensa fan. So he's gonna listen to a song. And then that song is gonna make him uncomfortable. And that song is gonna make him think about things that he doesn't wanna think about. That song is gonna force him to imagine a different point of view, a different perspective. And yeah, he may respond with anger, with violence. He may respond by saying, I don't wanna have anything to do with you anymore because you made me think about something that I don't wanna think about. But he has never thought about it before until then. Like, that's the whole fucking point of art. That's the whole point of writing. And I guess, you know, the question that I have for you is what's next? You know, like, what when you look at the world that we're living in right now, and you look at the things that animate you, the things that you've tackled uh, in, in your work, in your music, what do you see as sort of the next challenge? I mean, what what is the next thing that you want to say, I have something to say about that? You know, things I've been writing about and I've been thinking about for the future have been leaning more into subversive nature of songwriting and... Um, imaginative creating worlds that comment on ours without living inside of it. Like by that, I mean that I've written a lot of songs. I mean, I did a whole album called The Autobiography where I'm literally telling like play by play, this is what happened here, then next, then next, then next, then next. And it's all true and it's all, it all relates to my life, obviously, because right. it's my autobiography, but it also relates to 
the lives of so many people because we experience the same things. Um, but with, with new things that I've been writing, because I've been working a lot with a very good friend of mine named Aja Monet. She's a, phenom a phenomenal poet and uh, activist and organizer, et cetera. But she's like, we're thinking like Octavia Butler, you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. Octavia Butler is a, is a, is a black sci-fi writer that writes about like African people, ancient that have, that are immortal, that travel to America and live within American racism and, you know, navigate in the ways that they do and they populate other planets and shit like that. And within that like ethereal space, she's able to comment on, you know, the What's happening right now? What's happening yeah. right now? Yeah. In society, with race, with with our people, with men, with women. She's able to comment on that in a in a space outside of the obvious. You know what I'm saying? And so I've been I've been doing a lot of acting. Like I've been studying that craft. Mm. And my teacher, she she talks a lot about empathy and imagination. And She's like, well, if you're limited to your personal experience, then it's the only story you very, can tell, right? That's very limited. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? There's no Helena Troy. You know what I'm saying? There, there's no Godzilla destroying the town. If you're limited to your very personal experience, then that that's not so much fun at all, is it? And so what I've been thinking about and doing with newer shit is imagining worlds that don't in many ways look so much like this one but still relate and still comment on what we go through so it's almost like what you're saying is that you start so much of your early stuff started out personal so much of it becomes you know political through the personal and now it's like you're breaking through yourself you're breaking beyond yourself you're getting mythological I think those are the stories that oftentimes stick with us the longest. I was reading a story last night, super inspiring to me, that I want to write about. I learned about it from my friend Kirby Jean Raymond. He has a clothing line called Pierre Moss, and uh, it's one of the biggest things in fashion right now. So he did his New York Fashion Week show in his hometown of Brooklyn at King's Theater. and. He opened the show with a man speaking kind of prose, poetry, mm. culminating in a story about the people who could fly, these African slaves who could fly. And in the 1930s, when they were writing a lot of slave narratives and talking to freed slaves, the elder generation that was born in slavery, Oftentimes they would ask about this myth of the flying Africans that got up and flew back to Africa from slavery. And in that show, when, when the speaker at the beginning said that, that shit gave me chills, inspired me, and just opened my mind in different ways because I'd never heard it before. Hmm. But it says so much to everything we've been talking about, about freedom. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And about imagining freedom. 
And like, yeah, if, if I was in bondage as an African person, literally, you know, I know my tribe and my family lives in Africa. Flying Africans, leaving Georgia and flying back to West Africa, that's the stuff of my dreams, you know what I'm saying? And that's the shit that I'm thinking about right now, lyrically. So you've got a lot of collaborators uh, that you work with. One of them is here, Johan Lennox. Let's bring him up, yeah, Johan? Yeah. Johan Lennox, thanks for joining us. Uh, classically trained, yes, right? Um, and you've got this way of combining classical music with rock and hip hop and punk, which as far as I know, I, I, I've never heard anyone do it the way that you do. Tell us a little about how that happened. Like, what was your musical training growing up? Yeah, it's been like a long journey. I mean, I was really only doing classical music for most of my life up until a certain point. And like, I mean, your parents named you Johan. Yeah. So I mean, I mean, like right there. Yeah, and like Johan, <laughs> definitely a reference to Bach and Brahms and shit like <laughs> right. that. And like, yeah. so. Uh, it's just been this long journey of just studying classical music and wanting to write uh, like for symphonies as a that was my job pretty much I was doing it professionally even while I was in high school and college and stuff like that and um, just realizing slowly that that world as much as I love that music and still want to make that music wasn't engaging with like the cultural conversation in this right. country in the way that I felt like it should be and so Somebody played me Kanye's album, My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy, at a house party I was at in, in Boston. And I'm from Boston. And, and uh, I just heard this music and I was like, oh, this is somebody who's able to, uh, he has this platform because of this, this sort of pop music that he made, basically. And now he just does crazy, crazy artistic <laughs> things and people pay attention. And I just like, suddenly I was just like, oh, that is a journey I could really see working for all the things I want to do. Is that the genesis of Yeetoven? Yeah, yeah. So I did this concert, Yeetoven, which was um, uh, with my friend Yuga Kohler, who's an orchestra conductor. I known him from classical, uh, my classical like era, you know. And he wanted to do an orchestra concert around Kanye music somehow. And the two of us came up with this idea of like, why are we as classical musicians so interested in Kanye's music? And especially more recently, where he's really gone off, you know, the beaten path <laughs> musically. Yeah, uh, in other, other ways. ways yeah. yeah, in other sure. ways. Yeah, sure. Uh -huh. But yeah, he doesn't follow rules, and 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 I think he he started drifting into with uh, his album Yeezus and a couple other albums that he was really looking at things that um, were more like what a classical musician would how they would approach music, just like totally free of like song structure, just just you know, uh, totally um, free in general. And so and so we made this concert that was just kind of like orchestra music uh, based off of Kanye's most interesting productions compared with Beethoven music just to make this point of like this is what iconoclasts look like in their respective eras this is what people who push the boundaries look it's like it's really funny because like obviously you know we listen to Beethoven like in school yeah um we listen to Mozart you know and we're told that we have to give them this kind of respect right yeah. that there are these icons of western music but in their time they were the radicals, they were the iconoclasts, they yeah. were the, the troublemakers. And so your Yeetoven, the whole point of it is to draw like a, yeah. a line from 
those iconoclasts of classical music to someone like Kanye. Yeah, and, and nothing made us happier, honestly, than seeing all the like hate we got online. <laughs> right. Just being like, how dare you put somebody <laughs> like Kanye on the stage? And there's always these like weird, like racist overtones to this shit, and just like hip hop is trash and all that type of stuff. But also this whole thing of like Kanye is so arrogant, blah blah blah, like. Beethoven literally had quotes being like, you know, like no prince could ever like appreciate what I'm doing. Just these, all these sort of like, I'm above everybody type right. of shit. Just like he was exactly the same thing. And so it was like, like, yeah. Like, so 300 years from now, we'll probably think of Kanye in the way that we think of and, and like, Beethoven. I'm not even saying that like it will be Kanye, but the point is just like, if you're looking for people who are making a right. difference in culture, like it's probably going to look more like a Kanye West than it will look like, you know, whoever's like, uh, often some academic art environment now making some of this not having that kind of impact. Is that how you guys uh, first connected was through Yeetoven? Am I right about yeah. that? Yeah, Yeetoven was the, where I first learned about what Johan does. And it was actually my manager, Dave, that introduced me to it because I was doing the autobiography and a lot of it was like so very theatricals, like 2017. Yeah. And I was writing it as like a stage play in a lot of ways. And I was actually developing a play for it at that point in time, which is on ice that I'm like, I'm gonna use that a little later. But Johan came in and helped, you know, make it grandiose in that way and make it theatrical from a sonic standpoint, just by arranging orchestra parts for it. Mm. And so I remember we were like, recording the strings, we hung out a few times and like went through shit and he was like writing music and I was like, this is crazy. I haven't seen anybody write music for a long fucking time. He had the program. Yeah, on like the staff and shit. Right, yeah. yeah, I'm yeah, like, yeah. I haven't seen anybody do that for a minute. <laughs> yeah. um, and then we went to the studio and he had like some different instrumentalists, violin, cello, etc. And I think either he was talking shit about somebody or I was talking shit about somebody. And the other one of us was like, oh, I kind of fuck with him <laughs> talking, talking that shit. You I don't know? remember who that would have been. I don't, I don't, I don't remember if it was me or you. Some, one of us was talking shit, probably both probably of us. Probably both of us. Honestly. And so we just started like, we started working in that capacity. And so he would like arrange things like string arrangements for different music of mine, and then we started actually writing music together. How does the, the collaboration work now? I mean, is it, does it sometimes start with the, the music? Does it sometimes start with lyrics? I mean, do you sort of bring words and then see what he brings with it? Or do you start with a tune? Well, definitely on this 93 Punks album, like Vic had this whole book, like a Bible of just like ideas that, that he had about you know, society and culture and his own life and stuff like that. And we were always just looking at like different pages of that being like, oh, this is a song, this is a song. And then uh, me, him and Drew and Dave, uh, all of the members of the band, we just kind of like start jamming on certain elements musically. And then suddenly, you know, he might be like, yo, this, that might work for this. And then we're like, oh shit, let me sing this line. Let me sing this line. I would start fucking with melodies. Drew, all of us really would do melodies and, and, and then even start finessing lyrics and stuff like that. So. Uh, there was almost like no one way that it would happen. Right. It was always right. just like the fact that we were all there and comfortable with each other would just like allow. Sometimes I like write out. A lot of times I take lyrics I had written on a page or whatever and write them and text them to Johan, yeah. and then just like have him read his phone and just like vibe out on the mic and and sing shit and find melodies for those lyrics. 
You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's like definitely a way different process for me because like in the past, I used to write everything all alone. Yeah. You know? Total control. Yeah, yeah, I used to write yeah. everything all alone, um, not even in the room with other people. Really from Kanye is who I learned that art of collaboration from and being somebody in the room and writing with Kanye, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And seeing how he would just bring together different people whose musical instincts and lyrical instincts and melodic instincts who he trusted and respected or just was a fan of and seeing, oh, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? What do you think about this? Yeah. Um, so I learned that from him mm -hmm. and through working with Johan in like a, a, a orchestra arrangement capacity, I learned that his melodic sense, I mean, obviously to do that, you know, to construct these complex harmonic melodies over any song you could put in front of him, that that's quite a skill. Yeah, you know I mean? so that takes I learned some serious that time. His, that his melodic sense was like really unparalleled. So, you know, I, I was able to kind of figure out that like, okay, so I know I'm really nice with the words. Like I can give this to him or even have a song fully written. Like there's a song on here that we did with Travis Barker, who executive produces the album. Yeah. Um, called Persephone that like I wrote with Drew because Drew who plays the guitar is really nice with the lyrics as well and so we wrote the song over at Travis studio and then I brought it over to Johan and Johan really just made the melody of it go above and beyond because what what you come to see man is that like so much of music is way more than what you're saying it's how, it's how you say it, it's the emotion, it's the feeling behind it. And a lot of that is your melody, you know what I'm saying? I feel like that's really his strong suit. My strong suit would probably be For sure. lyrics, you know what I'm saying? But your melody can, I mean, cause you can say a lot with a melody without actually having words behind it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like a melody can make you feel a million emotions just as a mm-hmm, oh yeah, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> And so, when you put them together, though, I think that's when you that's when you get to the to the root of the shit. You guys have uh, plans to collaborate some more? Yeah, I think yeah. so. Yeah, we yeah. got this next album coming. So yeah, all the time. Can we hear a little something? Yeah, sure. All right, let's hear it. Right, let's uh, Vic Mensa, Johan Lennox, everyone. Revelations of an honest man Navigating trials and tribulations Couple scuffles with these scrubs I had to find my inner patience Smoking, bumping James Blake But my love knows no limitations It's an endless wealth inside That I can't quantify Through dollar signs It was hustlers that we idolized Most right behind county bars Stay strapped like seatbelts Cause the streets tell you to ride or die You got two options Who's sleeping and who conscious A lot of lion men claim kings I know scars, I know Mufasa's I got faith, I can move mountains 
mountains like gentrification move houses. CHA tore down the projects, they replaced it with a new target. Crosshairs on a nigga back, Van Dyke gon' shoot the kill. Laquan McDonald is Emmett Till, we still slaves on a newer field. Fighting cases, going through appeals. Pray for my niggas in Crook County, try to tell them keep your head up. They say it's hard when you still drowning and the world is watching, but they won't save you. Like that song by Phil Collins and the bills piling. That's why niggas pop pills, probably go to a party and kill somebody. That's fear mongering, money laundering, women conquering. Uh, with the poverty comes hypocrisy and misogyny. Uh, if I'm psychotic, I'm just a product of my environment. For you judge me, try surviving. As far as drama, I got a lot of it. After the last controversy, I done got so many death threats. Gotta keep my head on a swivel, niggas on my neck like a headrest. Fifty thousand dollars to take my life. I can't be purchased. I ain't got a price. I'm not saying that I'm never wrong, but I'm not afraid to say what's right. My only said to shine your light. JJ Evans, I'm dynamite. Smoking that loud till I go deaf. I'm blowing on crypto, crying a light. So many battles I tried to fight because of the war inside my head. Niggas be thinking that you ain't got baggage because you flying in private jets. Lost my Rolex. I ain't pressed out. No, my flow is timeless. Yes, me and broke got nothing in common. No, not even common sense. I make dollars. I got power. I made higher consciousness. Bright. I had to shine my way out the dark. I wrote a rhyme that came from the heart. So we're going to play our five questions game for both Vic and Johan. All right, here we go. You ready for this? Vic, what is your favorite book? My favorite book is called Bomb the Suburbs. It's by William Upsky Wyatt. I don't know that book. I'm going to go and buy it today. Sounds like a good book. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Johan, what's your favorite book? I'm going to go ninth grade with it and say Great Gatsby. Great book. I think just a few that. things explained. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's the only book I remember reading ever. But I would say like it just... Let me ask you just a very serious question. Yes, Were you assigned that book or did you read it by choice? Weirdly, yeah. I read it in high school and then I read it again in college in a class about it's opera for an opera that was based off The Great Gatsby. And that's, that's when it really hit me. It was just kind of like that that explains everything. Like everybody who's like taking over the world type of shit. It's always some like deep personal insecurity. You can always yeah. point it back to some... Yeah. yeah. In that book, yeah, they nailed it. They. <laughs> F. Scott. So good, they. Let's go, F. Scott. Uh, Vic, what's your writing process? My writing process is reality, whether it manifests itself on paper or in my mind. It's 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 real life. Something hits you, and immediately, like a spark goes I'm, off. That's what I'm inspired by. Yeah. Is, is experiences in my life, in the lives, in the lives of people that I love, people that right. I admire, people that I hate. You know, it, it, it's real life. 
Johan, what's your writing process? Yeah, I, similar. I, I mean, for me, it's just kind of like you see something somewhere and you're like, this belongs here and how do I make that work? And so for me, all my songs lately are just kind of like, I've heard everybody talking about the feelings of just kind of aimlessness and just directionlessness in this world that we live in right now, but I haven't heard anybody really sing about it. All right. So then it's like, how do I take these sentiments and put it into a song? And then that, that challenges, that becomes the process. Nice, I like that. Vic, if you weren't a songwriter, what would you be doing right now? Selling weed legally. <laughs> <laughs> Making a shit ton more money, actually, probably. Oh, working on that right now. You know, it's about to go recreational in Illinois, so working on doing that as, as we speak. But definitely so. selling weed legally. That's what, what I was doing illegally before. I was really a songwriter, so. Money's way better now. Uh, Johan, if you weren't a songwriter, what would you be? I think I'd be running for office right now. I think that's like that's the only other really? thing I really feel connected to. Yeah, politics. I would, probably would not have this haircut, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that haircut would be work. Doing the Pete Buttigieg. <laughs> not in politics. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't think no, so. so. Tell me, who's going to need that haircut? Uh, <laughs> yeah, council. Like, what do you mean? Like state politics? City yeah, politics. Think, yeah, probably national. like a state rep, something like that. Where, you mm -hmm. know, I have friends that are doing that stuff, but I definitely think that. Yeah, there's a lot of power there in speaking truth to what people are saying and like putting it in action. Do you think there's more power in culture, in politics, or in pop culture? Yeah, it's a question I have, and I definitely, I definitely see. Well, I mean, like Trump, in a way, on the darkest side of it, Trump is pop culture. He is pop culture. That's the thing is, he is president because he's a celebrity. Trump starts and Reagan was, you know, Joe is actually really on some political shit. Yeah, we be like clashing and shit within within the far left spectrum. it's all like in one tiny. We be clashing in a whole progressive space. Yeah, but we do that. Vic, what's the worst writing advice you've ever gotten? So you told me you were gonna ask me that. It's <laughs> um, a good question. I, I didn't. Come it could up. be a note that, like, like a record exec or a producer or somebody gave you. You know, I was playing. I was playing an album for somebody. It's like a deeply personal album, and um, they were like, "You need a party track." <laughs> and we were talking about that today. I don't think it was the worst. No, I don't know what the worst advice anybody has, has given me is, but I definitely prefer when like people give me input that like guides me somewhere that I need to be mm. like artistically and spiritually. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? As opposed to a motherfucker being like you need to be more commercial. You yeah, know? where's yeah. the single? Right. Jan, what's the worst writing advice you've ever gotten? I think like, um, like finding where I'm at creatively now has been a journey. And along that journey, there was like, maybe I should try doing this. And, and there've been people who've been like, that's not you, don't do that. Right. And that's a really bad note because like, I think people who don't do create, creative work for a living don't understand that like, it's a process and you might be on the way to something and like the thing they think right. you are might not word, be what word, you actually word. are. It's just not a helpful, like I waited two years. I think that really hurt me in a way, you know, and then I finally ended up exactly where I was going to head anyway. It's what we were talking about earlier. Don't, don't get in a box. Don't be put in a box. Yeah. Don't, don't be given a label. Yeah. People have assumptions and yeah. that's not, that's the worst thing you could possibly have. I think creatively. 
And then finally, Vic, what's the best writing advice that you can give to an artist who's kind of just starting out or emerging? The best advice I could give is the best advice that was given to me. And that was by Mike Posner, actually. A great writer. He's really no, he's dope. incredible. Yeah, every, yeah this dope. is like people that know. No, but he gave incredible. me some really good advice years ago. And what he told me was, tell as much truth with every line as possible. And that's been influential to me because oftentimes when I'm thinking about two different lines that could fill the same space as I do every time I write, I'm like, which one's telling more truth? And so I'll often pick the one that's telling the more truth than maybe what might be the more clever rhyme or right. might be like the more gaudy or just like a boastful thing to say. I'll be like, what's telling more truth? Where Tell the most truth with every line. That's that's actually a really oh, it's a great, really it's good. a that's great awesome. piece yeah. of advice because it really yeah. it, it applies to the whole process. Yeah, because yeah. you got to go line by line. I mean, yeah. you can freestyle the whole thing. That's great, but it's like chances are for me, I'm going line by line, and if I approach it with like tell as much truth with each line as possible, then that helps my delineation process of what makes it into the song, right. into the verse, yeah. you know? That's good. Johan, the best advice that you've ever gotten or the best advice that you could give to someone just kind of starting out? Yeah, this is like, it's, it's come to me over a period of years for sure, but like, I think just the realization has been that like, um, like culture is a, it's a conversation and you're walking into the conversation. And if, if what you're gonna say is not, like, if people are having a conversation in French and you have an incredible point to make in English, it doesn't matter how good a point you have to make. Like you're walking into a conversation, yeah. you need to understand where people are at to, to, to offer anything useful to anybody. And it's not just a vacuum, it is like you're part of this, this world uh, culturally. And I think just soak it all in and like be a part of it is, is really the way to make something that's gonna have value. Give it up again for Vic Mensa and Johan Lennox, everyone. I told you guys that was gonna be a great episode. I wanna thank my guest, Vic Mensa, for talking to me, and I also wanna give a special shout out to Johan Lennox, an amazing composer. You should really check out both of their music on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your music. You can also follow Vic at Vic Mensa, that's at V-I-C-M-E-N-S-A. And you can follow Johan at Johan Lennox. That's at J-O-H-A-N-L-E-N-O-X. Check them both out. Rough Draft is a topic original series hosted by me, Reza Aslan. Executive produced by Reza Aslan, David Andrioni, Alfredo De Villa, and Safa Samizadeh Yazd. Executive producers for Topic are Ryan Chanitry, Anna Holmes, and Gina Konstantinakos, with production aid from Russell Sperberg. Our music and theme is by Jacob Snyder, sound by Sean Oakley, editing and mixing by Will Stanton, with additional editing by Blake V. You can follow Rough Draft on Twitter at Rough Draft Reza, on Facebook at Rough Draft with Reza Aslan, or you can email us at roughdraftpodcast at topic.com. 
You can also follow me, Reza Aslan, at Reza Aslan. For transcripts and a list of full credits, go to topic.com slash rdpodcast. If you love this interview, be sure to check out our TV show, as well as Topic's original series and exclusive programming from around the world. Try it for free on the Apple TV app already on your favorite devices. You can watch Topic at home or on the go with offline viewing, and you can also share your subscription between up to six family members with family sharing. That's what I do. Go to apple.co slash topic. That's apple.co slash topic to start your seven-day free trial now. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on Rough Draft. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.